Well, good morning, everyone. We do begin a new uh, series today, a brief one called Curing the Anxious Heart. And I just want to begin by saying I'm kind of a little anxious about this series, to be honest with you. Have you noticed how anxiety is escalating in our country and in our culture? I have a number of pastor friends with whom I speak on a regular basis, and and they're kind of scattered all around the country. Uh, some are on the West Coast, the Great Northwest, way down south. But, but some of the pastors I talk to the most are actually in the Northeast. But here's one thing that everybody that I know is agreeing with. None of us have ever seen a time in our lives when the level of anxiety, not just in the community, but even among God's people, is greater than it is now. It is truly epic. And as I've been studying this now for a number of weeks, getting ready for this little mini-series, I want you to know I've been stunned by some of the things that I'm finding about how pervasive anxiety is. So I'm convinced that God's gonna help many of us turn a corner on this issue and to live a life that is more confident and more peace-filled, because I want to tell you, the people I know who are experiencing the greatest level of peace in their lives are mature Christ followers. Now, I'll probably say that again later, but let me say it again now. The people I know who are getting the most freedom from anxiety and the most peaceful and confident lives are those who know Jesus Christ and are growing in that relationship into maturity. I don't know if you're aware of this or not, but drug and alcohol abuse are also epic. Anxiety is the number one health issue among women, but drug and alcohol abuse is the number one issue about, with men today in America. And I sometimes wonder if that's not because, or maybe if that's because we're really using these things to medicate our anxiety. According to the stats I'm reading, over 40 million Americans admit that they have a tremendous struggle with anxiety, and we spend now over $48 billion a year to try to treat anxiety. Hey, are you guys ready for Adele's new album this Friday? You know it's coming out, right? And some of you are going, who is Adele? And some of you are going, yeah, brother, I'm on the edge of my seat. I'm dying for that new album to be released. Well, it's interesting. It comes out this Friday, the 19th, and this woman who has won 15 different Grammy Awards, who has been voted three different times Billboard's number one artist of the year, she has a voicemail on one of her songs that's coming out about a panic attack she had. She described her recent divorce and she said, my anxiety was so terrible, I'd forget what I had said or hadn't said to my son about separating. And so she reached out to her best friend, she called her on the phone, and the phone rang and rang and rang and no one answered. Now, I mentioned that because I believe it's a haunting picture, really, 
of millions of Americans gripped with crippling anxiety, reaching out, but there's no one there to comfort them or take their anxiety away. I don't know if you're familiar with the Pew Research Center, but it is a wealth of information on issues like this. And they, in one of their surveys of American teenagers, they asked the teenagers of America, what are the number one issues? What are the top issues that you and your peers are dealing with? And here are the results of their survey. 70% said they're dealing with anxiety and depression. That was the number one issue on the survey. Bullying, 55%. Drug addiction, 51%. Drinking alcohol, 45%. And poverty came in at 40%. Again, those stats are from the Pew Research Center, a very respected source. But here's my question to you as we kind of launch this mini-series. How is it that anxiety can be growing when life for so many Americans is better than it's ever been? Have you ever wondered about that? I mean, cars are safer than they've ever been. You're less likely to get killed in an automobile accident on the roads. Uh, people are living longer. The longevity rate just continues to rise. Medical care has made tremendous advances. I mean, there are things that we just take for granted today as medical procedures that just 30, 40 years ago, we wouldn't have even dreamed about. So how is it that we have less to worry about in the past and yet we're more anxious than ever. I think that's a really important question and one that demands an answer. Well, I don't know what your relationship with God is like or if you're even a believer in God because I know we have all kinds of people who tune in and listen online as well as attend our services at our campuses. But I, I wanna say this to you today, that whatever you believe about God, here is sort of the thesis of this series. Whatever you believe about God is going to greatly impact the level of anxiety in your life. Now, folks, that is just the truth. What you truly believe about God and God's involvement in your life as a whole is going to greatly impact the level of anxiety that you live with. And again, let me say, I think God is going to use this series to help many of us turn a corner and live more peaceful and confident lives. So as we dive in today, I want to start by just kind of quickly looking at what I would call three huge causes for the escalation in anxiety, three causes for that. The first one is not being sure about where I stand with God. Now, believe it or not, most Americans still believe in God. I don't know if that's shocking to you or not, but consistently in national surveys, it keeps on coming in. In spite of changes in belief and changes in lifestyle, it always comes in 90-something percent of Americans definitely believe in God. But here's the question. In my pastoral experience, as I've met with hundreds and hundreds of people, it seems to me that at least 20% of the people that I've met are not certain or don't have assurance about where they stand with God. 
Sometime back, I talked with a young man that was, to me, very impressive. Uh, he seemed to have a lot of things going for him. He was about to graduate from a prestigious college in our country. He was a good athlete, very popular in school, pretty smart. Uh, he was a good communicator and just very good with relationships. But he shared with me about some of the anxiety he was having. He was suffering from fears about where he might work after college. And then he talked about the dating relationship he was in with this uh, young lady. And he, it was kind of on again, off again. And it caused all this anxiety in his life. And he didn't know where it was going or where she really, what she really felt about him. And then he talked about the fear he has, the anxiety about what his future may hold. Now, again, here's a young man who by any metric would be a success. He would have all kinds of good things going for him. And so I probed all of those issues, you know, and asked a lot of questions and tried to give good feedback. But then I asked about his relationship with God, and I was surprised at what happened. He became quite emotional. And he said, well, to be honest with you, I'm unsure about where I stand with God. And if I'm really being real, I believe that kind of hangs there like a cloud all the time, and it makes all these other things worse. And so we addressed that head on, and I shared the gospel with him briefly, and I talked about how he could have confidence about where he stood with God because of Jesus' death for him on the cross. And he could live with assurance day by day that he is indeed saved, and he can experience peace with God. Well, before he left that day, he actually prayed with me to receive Christ as his Lord and Savior. And as I watch him now, sort of from a distance, we don't talk often, but it seems to me that he is flourishing today in part because he now has this confidence about where he stands with God. Now, let me ask you, does that describe you? If someone were to really put you on the spot and you felt you could be honest, do you know where you stand with the living God? Now, I'm greatly oversimplifying this, but the Bible generally describes the Christ-following life as a life marked by peace, by peace. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, Jesus said. And we just finished studying Colossians, and it says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Since members of one body, you were called to peace. The Bible, on the other hand, describes the person who is a slave to sin as a person who's anything but peaceful. I could give you dozens of examples of this, but let me just give you one. As God spoke through the prophet Isaiah long ago, Isaiah 57, but the wicked are like the tossing sea, which cannot rest, whose waves cast up mire and mud. There is no peace, says my God, for the wicked. Does that describe you? I think that's a powerful picture of the churning and turmoil that often goes on in the heart and mind of a person who has not yet yielded their life to God. So if you're doubtful today about where you stand with God, today's the day 
in God's providence that you need to settle that issue once and for all. Do not leave this building. Do not let this moment in time pass you by. You may be dealing with a lot of important questions in life, but I want to tell you, friend, there is no question more important you need to ever settle than where you stand with God Almighty. Any other question you're dealing with pales in comparison to the importance of that one question. Seek one of the pastors out. Seek someone out in the prayer corner or area at your campus and settle that issue once and for all. But I think there's a second cause that is causing a thing that's causing anxiety to escalate like crazy. Here it is. It's having immediate and specific access to knowledge about local and global tragedies. I mean, come on. Doesn't that stoke our anxiety like crazy? We're aware of all these catastrophes locally and globally more than we ever have been. I mean, for instance, you may recall about four weeks ago. I'll never forget where I can still remember the place where I got news about those 17 missionaries who have been abducted and kidnapped after visiting an orphanage in Haiti. I was stunned. I mean, what do you do with that information? And I'll never forget, I literally, after hearing it, uh, paused right there, and I just prayed out loud, prayed out loud for those missionaries that God would intervene, that God would give them grace and comfort and com- calm their fears and all of that. But, but what do you do? You have to move on, right? There's meetings to go to. There's deadlines to meet. Life keeps moving, and yet you can't, you can't get away from it. In the back of your mind is this horrible tragedy. And by the way, we still don't know how it's going to be resolved. And so it lingers on and on in our minds. Now, a hundred years ago, you might have never heard about that. Or if you did, days or maybe weeks before you heard. But now, oh, now, we have immediate knowledge of breaking news stories, and it stokes our anxiety. And by the way, for those of you who are spending hours on social media, let me just share with you a comforting little note. Uh, every study I've looked at in the last two to three weeks, not a single study disagrees with this, with this conclusion. The more time you spend on social media, the higher your anxiety. I mean, that, that, that's just an irrefutable fact. The more time you tend to spend on social media, the higher your levels of anxiety tend to be. I mean, come on. You look at these people, they look so pretty and beautiful and happy, and you go, what's wrong with me? Why is my life not going well? When am I going to be happy like that? What's wrong? Why is my life not soaring like theirs seems to be? And folks, when you put all these factors together, is it any wonder that our anxiety is growing? But before we leave this and kind of turn a corner... I want, to, I want to mention one other thing. I know it's a bold declaration, but I'll bet that this is the number one factor that leads to anxiety. I want to warn you, it's not one you'd probably think of. In fact, when you hear what it is, some of you are probably going to sit there and go, mm, I got to think about that. 
But I want to tell you, I'm convinced that it lies behind most of the anxiety that we experience in life. And that is when you have a personal identity built on things you can lose. Now, go with me here for just a moment. Think about this for a while. If your identity, if your sense of significance is rooted in anything that you can lose, you're going to be vulnerable to lots of anxiety. And by the way, everyone I've ever met wants to feel like their life matters, like their life means something, that they have a seat at the table of life. But Get this, if your identity is rooted in or attached to anything that can be lost, there's this ever-looming threat that your significance can be lost in a heartbeat, and the threat is very real. Let me just give you a few examples. Let's suppose that your identity is rooted in athletic ability. You are known as Joe Athlete. You are Tiffany the Superstar Athlete. Hey, What happens when you have that career-ending injury? Who are you then? What is your identity now? And so you live with this constant anxiety, oh my goodness, just one ACL tear and it could all be over for me. And then what does my life mean? Or let's suppose that your identity is rooted in your appearance. What happens when the oil of Olay is no longer working? (laughs) What happens when your skin sags and plastic surgery no longer does its magic? Huh? Who are you then? Are you still a person of value? You are not. You are not if your identity and significance is rooted in your appearance. Or let's suppose, I suppose this could be true of some people who are listening. Let's suppose your whole identity is rooted in how well you're doing financially. Well, what happens when the market crashes? Are you going to be like one of those hundreds of people when the market crashed in 1929 who committed suicide because they couldn't go on another day without that wealth because it had become their whole identity? What about those of you who are facing retirement? Oh, there's one. And your whole identity has been rooted in your job. And now you're not facing, you're gonna, you're facing a situation where you're not gonna have that job. Who are you? Are you still the same person? Do you have any value? Do you have any worth? I think you're getting the idea here, but pardon me for mentioning one more because it's so big. Some of you have your identity rooted in another person, a mere human Husband, wife, children, friends, siblings, etc. Ooh, you're really vulnerable. Got news for you. Relationships can be fickle. They don't always last forever. People die. Friends can betray you. And Divorce is very real. And so you live with this anxiety as your constant companion. So I hope you're getting the idea here. If your identity as a person is rooted in paychecks or power or position or prestige or popularity or any of these things that can be gone in a moment, anxiety is going to be your constant companion. Now I got a question for you. 
Do you think Jesus meant for his followers to build their significance, their identity on any of these things that could be swept in a, away in a moment? Not a chance, folks. Jesus himself modeled this for us. He was secure in who he was. He didn't have to jockey for position and power. He could actually empty himself of those prerogatives because he was secure in the love of the heavenly father. And when you are secure in your relationship with Christ, when you know who you are in Christ, I wanna say it again, those people are the most anxiety-free people I've ever met because they know who they are and they can sing the song and meet it. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand, all other ground is sinking sand. And they know who they are in Christ. Does that describe you today? Is that who you are? If it is, great news for you, sister. You don't have, if you're a true Christian, you don't have to compete with others to try to be special. You don't have to get tied up in knots of anxiety because you're already special to God. You're already unique. You're one of a kind in your relationship with him. I got great news for you, brother. If you're a true Christian, you don't have to churn inside and strive to be important. You don't have to try to perform in order to be accepted. Your heavenly father already knows everything about you and he loves you and you are his unique son. One of a kind, no one else like you. Why be anxious? Your identity is secure. It's not attached to anything in this world that can be lost. So I wanted to start there. Those are some of the major reasons. There are many more we could note. But I think those are the major ones that cause anxiety to escalate in our culture today. Now, what exactly is anxiety? You ever thought about that? One of the questions that I really wanted to answer in my research is, are fear and anxiety the same thing or are they different? And here's my conclusion. I think they're different. And the reason I point this out is because I hear Christians say all the time, all fear is bad. All fear is bad. And they'll quote 2 Timothy 1.7, God has not given us the spirit of fear. Well, amen to that, but that doesn't mean that all fear is bad. Let me illustrate. Some fear is good. If I fear falling down the steps, maybe I'll hold on to the railing. If I fear being misunderstood, I'll probably choose my words carefully. If I fear uh, going into debt, then hopefully I'll be proactive in building an emergency fund so that financially I'll be ready for a catastrophe. So fear is good. Hear this today. Some of you really need to hear this. Fear is good if it causes me to respond with a positive, appropriate action. Dustin Nickerson is this hilarious Christian comedian. I hope you listen to him sometime. He's just hilarious. And he goes on a rip about how we fear the wrong things. He says, for instance, uh, we fear spiders, but not diarrhea. 
spiders. But everybody's all been out of shape about spiders, but we don't fear diarrhea. He says, why is that? Diarrhea statistically kills far more people than spiders do. Dustin says, what you ought to fear is that chalupa at Taco Bell. That's what you ought to fear right there, all right? Not all fears are bad, folks. We should take note of legitimate fears and take the appropriate action. But, but anxiety is very different. Anxiety is this ominous dread about what might happen, and it paralyzes me. And many, many people are paralyzed with anxiety because of all the what-ifs of life, right? Oh, what if our country gets so weak that we're overtaken by a foreign power? Oh, what would we do? What if I get cancer? What if my child dies? Oh, what if my marriage fails? What if I run out of money, can't pay the bills? What if there's no one to take care of me when I'm old and I'm, in, I'm dying all alone? What if I flunk out of school? What if I get fired from my job and you lie awake at night just churning, lying awake with all of these what ifs going through your mind? And it's, it's all these horrible things that just might happen someday. And it fills your heart with anxiety. Oh, I hope you see the difference between legitimate fear that you act on and these nebulous, anxious thoughts about what might just happen one day that kind of suffocate you and suck the life out of you. The difference between those two is huge. Now, let me just say something right now because I'm really, really concerned about this. I guess you could say I'm anxious about it, to be honest with you. <laughs> let me say something. I'm concerned that some of you listening to me right now are going, yep, yep, Pastor Rex, you nailed it on the head today, brother. Woo, what a sermon, man. Oh, you nailed it. Yeah, I'm an anxious person, guilty as charged. Yeah, I lie awake at night. I've got all these what-ifs going through my mind. Yeah, I'm guilty. I, I've got boatloads of anxiety, Pastor. You've got me straight here. I want to tell you, I guess I'm just a lousy Christian. Now, wait a minute. Whoa, wait a minute. I didn't say that. In fact, I want you to hear this next line. If you are human, some anxiety is just par for the course. Did you hear that? Hope everybody heard that. It's just a part of the human experience. But that does not mean that we should just wink at it and go, oh, I guess I just have to live with chronic anxiety. Please hear me. A part of my premise behind this little series is that I don't think we just have to live with it. I think God has a cure for the anxious heart. Now, I'm going to read a passage now, just two verses right now. We'll certainly be looking at more, and we'll look at more next week. But I believe that this is just one of, God, one of God's marvelous prescriptions for anxiety. It's found in Philippians 4. It's one of those classics, but we often take it for granted. It says, do not be anxious about anything, 
But in everything, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And then it gives this amazing promise. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, you need to get this part. This is not saying you're a lousy Christian if you ever have any anxiety. It's not what it's saying. The Greek verb here is in the present active tense and voice. Here's why that's important. What that means is, this is saying we are not to live in a perpetual day after day, moment after moment, state of gripping anxiety. That's not for you to carry. That's for God to carry. He's invited you to cast that on him. By the way, did you know that Jesus, being fully human and fully God, did you know that Jesus experienced temporary anxiety, although very severe, in the Garden of Gethsemane? Have you ever thought about that? He had so much anxiety in those moments, he sweat great drops of blood as he thought about the prospects and all the horrors of the cross that he was about to experience. Hear me again. All of us are going to have some anxiety. But for those who are indwelled by the Holy Spirit, and that's every true Christian, you have resources God has provided that can make a huge difference. You do not have to live with chronic, debilitating anxiety all the time. God has some solutions for your situation. Now, I'm going to make a statement right now that I really, really believe is important. Some of you listening to me, probably at each of our campuses, and many of you online, I'll bet, listen, the truth about you is you've been so traumatized in your life that your anxiety is, is honestly at a clinical level. An appropriate professional help may be one of the avenues God uses to bring you to wholeness and a more healthy life. And perhaps you need to seek therapy from a, from a qualified professional counselor, and you should not feel embarrassed about that or ashamed of that at all. That's nothing to be ashamed about. You say, now, Pastor Rex, does God do miracles? You bet he does. But he also gave us doctors and medicine and professionals who've devoted their lives to understanding how God designed the human psyche, and these resources can be invaluable. Folks, mental health issues are real. And so if you need help, what I'm saying is, I urge you to get the help you need and not be ashamed about it. But hear me today. You're a holistic being. God designed you that way. Just about everything about you affects other parts of who you are. And so your heavenly designer, who knows you better than anyone, he has given prescriptions in this word that will help you be the person he designed you to be. And so it's kind of foolish when you think about it. When we look everywhere else for answers and we ignore this. Isn't that kind of foolish? I think it is. 
when the one who designed you and knows you best and know how you are to function best has given prescriptions, sometimes we just need to take the vitamins he's given us. Sometimes we just need to read this and take the prescription that it offers for curing the anxious heart. Now, next week, we're gonna dive in with both feet into what I would, I believe is the best single cure for an anxious heart. But today, with a few moments we have left, and it is gonna be fast, folks, I wanna just share very quickly one vital part, one vital part of the cure for anxiety. And it's found right here again in Philippians 4 and verses 4 and 5. If you have your Bible open, would you look at it with me? Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Rejoice always. Woohoo! Does that mean I need to say, hey, I may have a heart attack next week? Woo! I'm rejoicing. No, that's silly. That's ridiculous. God's not saying here, rejoice in your worries. He said, rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. And we can do that, he says, because the Lord is near. Now, some commentators on the Bible believe that that statement, the Lord is near in verse 5, is referring to the second coming of Jesus being near. It's an eschatological statement, in other words. I don't believe that's what it means here. It could mean that. And if it means that, I'm excited. Woo, bring it on, Jesus. We want to see you again in person. Okay? But I don't think that's what it means here. I think it's an existential statement. I think it's saying the Lord is near in your experience. The Lord is with you right now in your life. He's near to you. And if there's any message I've tried to get across over the last 28 years at Grace, it's that behavior follows beliefs. And that what you believe about God is the most important thing about you, as A.W. Tozer said. So here's the bottom line today, folks. If you really believe, if you really believe what Philippians 4 verse 5 says, that the Lord is near, truly near, it really impacts the way you respond to anxiety. As I look back over my life, I'm astounded at the times that the Lord was near just when I needed him the most. I'll never forget back as a 17-year-old, I went off to college for the first time. And no one in my family had ever had the privilege of going to college, and so I had no idea of what it was about. I had no one that could really tell me much about it. And I came from a very poor family, and I didn't know how I was going to pay. And this is before the days of computers, you know, everybody having a computer. And so they had big binders full of papers. And I show up in the line, and I register, and I get to where you pay. And the lady looked up at me and said, now, how will you be paying? And I said, I have absolutely no idea. And she didn't laugh at that. She just pointed me to a chair and said, sit down right there. And I found out that even though I had no idea how I was going to pay for this, I found out that God was with me. And there were all kinds of grants and scholarships available to me that I had no idea about. And I was able to go to college because God was with me. 
And six years later, just six years later, I was 23 years old and going to seminary in Louisville, Kentucky, and I was delivering pizza to earn money to keep gasoline in my car and kind of buy clothes and books and things like that. And I would literally some days look in this, it was actually a bedpan I had on my chest of drawers that I'd had from being in a hospital visit once. And so I just cleaned it out and it was this bedpan and I would put change in it and I'm, these are details you tell when you're family, right? It's a bedpan, okay? And so I would look to see every day if I had enough money to buy food that evening. Now, here was the deal. I delivered pizza, and if you didn't have another pizza to immediately deliver when you got back from your delivery, that you were supposed to go bust tables. That's just how the work happened. And so I'd go out and bust a table, and if a family had left behind maybe two or three slices of pizza, then guess what my dinner was? I'd just take that pizza and eat it because I didn't really have enough money to buy it for myself. But I found out that God was with me and that God allowed me to get through seminary and somehow pay all of the bills, although it was tight. And four years later, I'm still a single young man living for God, but wondering, is there a soulmate out there somewhere? Where is she? Where is she? And I was teaching a class in upstate New York, of all places, in Fulton, New York, when I met the young woman who a year and a half later was to become my wife. And you know, I discovered that God was with me. And now I've been married for 31 years, four months, and 14 days. And wow, yeah, yeah. And I realized that God is with me more than I ever dreamed. He was with me in that little town in upstate New York that day. And some years later, we launched a church in a grungy storefront building just off Wolf Road, Colony. And by faith, we went out and just bought 200 chairs for people to sit in as we were starting the church. And I had this anxious knot in my stomach as I unloaded those chairs, carried them into the storefront. Are we ever gonna use 200 chairs? Oh, is this crazy or what? Are we nuts? But now I realize that God was with me. As I look back over my life, what I'm saying is that through the ups and the downs and the highs and the lows, When I think back, God has always been with me. As a 13-year-old boy, I trusted Christ to forgive my sins, and then I I followed him in baptism, and I began to devote myself to prayer and to fellowship with other Christians and to the Word of God. And I can tell you, folks, that ever since that time, even when I don't feel like it, God has been with me every step of the way. And I'll bet that you, If you really look back through your life, through the years, I'll bet God has been with you too. So here's my confession. I've wrestled with anxiety throughout my life. I've had more sleepless nights than I'm comfortable admitting to you where I tossed and turned and worried about something in my life and how it was gonna turn out. But God has shown me over and over again that in the time of my greatest need, when the day seems darkest, he is still near, and I can rejoice in that. And you can too. 
Father, I pray today that you would use this little mini-series to really change us. Help us turn a corner, Lord. Help us turn a corner and to live more confident and anxiety-free lives, to not be ground down by chronic worry and anxiety. Father, help us to take the prescription that you give us to take it seriously and to bask in the amazing knowledge that you are near. Hallelujah. So I pray today that for those who are struggling greatly with, with issues, would you meet them right now? Because you're near. Would you show them some sense of your presence and just give them a calm and a peace in their heart, Lord, that you're right there. You're right there in the midst of all they're going through. You love them and you've never taken your eyes off of them. Give them confidence and peace with that. Lord, thank you for what you're gonna do in this series. We look to you and we commit it to you in Jesus' name, amen, amen.